I came across a new gospel last week. Really, I did. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one that I have been uh, living by to some degree, actually, for some time. You may have seen it as well. It was in a column, actually, written by David Brooks. The column was entitled, The Gospel of St. You." To really, though, to hone in on it a little bit more, it probably should be the gospel according to St. Me. As in, me, 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 me. Uh, to be candid, the column does teeter right on that line between satire and snark and several times lands pretty squarely in the category of snark. But there are moments in it that gave me pause. Moments that were dreadfully revelatory. <laughs> and I think this week it kept coming back to me because of what we hear down by the river with John the Baptist and his cousin Jesus. And so I'd actually like to share some of his words, but because, well, they're worth getting right, I'd like to read it aloud. David Brooks writes, We live in a culture of selfism, a culture that puts tremendous emphasis on self, on self-care and self-display. And one of the things we've discovered is that you can be a very good person while thinking only about yourself. Back in the old days, people thought morality was about living up to some external standard of moral excellence. Abraham Lincoln tried to live a life of honesty and courage, Mother Teresa tried to live up to a standard of selfless love. But we now know that this is actually harmful. <laughs> In the first place, when people hold up external standards of moral excellence, they often make you feel judged. These people make you feel sad because you may not live up to this standard and it's very cruel of them to make you feel troubled in this way. <laughs> when somebody does this, you should just say, that makes me feel judged. And just walk away. Don't stoop to their level. Okay, so, definitely some snark in there. And... Some really uncomfortable truth as well. Because when we're honest, judgment is something that we struggle with profoundly. And there's some good reason for this. And some of it stems directly from within the Christian tradition. 
Right? We have a long history of a very particular interpretation of the text we just heard about the wheat and the chaff and specifically the unquenchable fire. For many interpreters over centuries have interpreted this to be whole scale, that there are fundamentally people who are good and people who are evil, and those who are evil are burned with the unquenchable fire. And we've, uh, we've done this over and again, whether it was Gentile and Jew or Protestant or Catholic. The divisions actually have been nearly endless. And what's really curious to me is whenever we have done this, time after time, it seems that the, uh, the interpreter who's making this interpretation is rarely in the side that's going to be on fire forever. <laughs> curious, no? But devastating, yes. It's this interpretation that has allowed the church to say that someone was inferior because of the shade of their skin, or that someone was disordered because of who they were attracted to, or that someone was incapable because of their gender. This has been the legacy of this interpretation, and it has done great damage. But this is not the only way to hear this. In fact, I want to enter into this from the same chapter, but a little bit earlier. Last month in Advent, we started the gospel according to Luke. This is chapter 3. We were down by the riverside then as well, so some of this story may seem familiar. And John the Baptist was met with people from all around Jerusalem. He was proclaiming this uh, baptism of repentance. And then all these people were coming, wanting a, a new start, wanting to enact this ritual of cleansing and of restoration. But they were tax collectors. They were soldiers. And this is in an era when your occupation, what you did, was even more extrinsically tied to your identity. So what John the Baptist did not say was, stop being that. He didn't say, stop that occupation. He said, reform your behavior. Judgment is not about the categorization of a person. It's a reflection upon their action. So, let's think then about this, this metaphor, this image of uh, the wheat and the chaff. It's an agricultural image again. And uh, for those of you who have not uh, harvested wheat, 
Put myself right there. Okay, good. I'm not alone. I mean, this is North Berkeley. You've got to check these things. Uh, let's just say we've harvested the wheat and we've got this big pile of uh, the stalks and the kernels. And so a winnowing fork then is kind of like a, a rake or a pitchfork and you get into the stack and you toss it up in the air. And the kernels of wheat, because they're denser, they're heavier, they, they drop down onto the threshing floor while the shards of the stalks are blown away. And you keep doing this to clear out what is fruitful from what is not. So what if John the Baptist was talking about Jesus and this winnowing fork not as a way to separate fundamentally good people from fundamentally evil people, but what if he was doing this as a way to understand what it is to sort what is within. As all those people were gathered down by the river that day, as we are gathered here today, what if this is the way to get ready for new life? Because that's what judgment is. It's this preparation for new life. It's about getting ourselves ready. Not that it's going to be easy. doesn't necessarily feel good. Do you remember the last time that you came into judgment when you wronged another person or yourself and they or you realized it. For judgment at its most basic is about measuring our actions against the plumb line of our beliefs. And seeing what remains in between. And it's actually essential to the Christian life. Right? And it's something that we press against because we are often afraid of what it will bring, that uh, the judgment will be unfair. Or that we will lose something that really matters to us. Or that we might have to change. And yet, there is no path to recovery. There is no path to reformation. There is no path to restoration without judgment. It's a part of how the world is made right. And so that's why we're here with this story today. 
That's why it's told by the River Jordan. All these people were gathered there because they wanted to be made right. That's why they were seeking this ritual. That's why we remember the baptism of Jesus the Christ and why we will enact it now. Today it won't be a, a tax collector or a soldier. It's going to be this sweet baby Diana who will have to wake up for this sometime soon. <laughs> but it's not just for her. This also is serendipitous. It comes at the beginning of the new year, right? This time of the year when we kind of sort things out, decide what we want to keep and what we want to let go of. And that's what judgment is. It's like, you know, the metaphorical digging in and tossing up into the air and seeing what floats away and what falls. And it can be frightening. It can be frightening because what if everything goes away? What if we're left with nothing that we recognize? It's these opportunities to, to live by what is fruitful for us and for the people around us. This is why we come back to this again and again, to live by this way. And we do this because we can trust in this voice that comes from heaven that actually our essential belovedness always, always, always falls into the arms of a merciful God. We just have to be willing to throw our lives aloft.